the book of Genesis chapter 45. We will be reading verses 16 through 28 this morning. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Verse 16. Now when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts, and go to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your father's households, and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat of the fat of the land. Now you are ordered, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt, from your little ones, for your little ones, and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Do not concern yourselves with goods, your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away. And as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the journey. Then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan, to their father Jacob. They told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is the ruler over all the land of Egypt. But he was stunned. He did not believe them. When he told, they told him all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, And when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Then Israel said, it is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let's follow the reading of God's word. May God add a blessing to it. Let's pray. Our gracious uh, heavenly father, we come to you now in the name of our dearly beloved Son, and your dearly beloved Son, and by the power and strength of the Holy Spirit who resides within every believer, we pray, God, your grace and your strength upon us this morning as we hear your word. And Lord, please, by your grace, help us to hear your word. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that pump with a desire for the truth of your word. Lord God, I decrease that you may increase. Pray that you and you alone will be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated, saints. The sons of Israel, the brothers of Joseph, were truly amazed at what they saw and what they heard on that day. For them, uh, there had been no day like that day ever in their lives. They had come to realize that this man, Zaphonaphaneah, was none other than the brother that they had sold into slavery, Joseph, 20 years earlier. There was 
and no day like that day for the sons of Israel. But there was also no day like that day for the Egyptians either, at least in their experience with Zaphonaphaneah. They had only known this man, this ruler, this governor of Egypt. They had only known him as a man of great dignity, a man of great self-composure. And now they are experiencing an altogether different man with his weeping and his sobbing, uh, the likes of which could be heard all throughout the house of Pharaoh. And I wonder if you can imagine Imagine the echo of his wailing. Imagine the the echo of his weeping in that house. The servants are sent out of the room. And there breaks forth a weeping and a wailing in the house of Pharaoh. As Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. In verse 16... We are told that the the fame or the report of what had happened was heard and told all throughout the house of Pharaoh. Uh, This was the explanation that that came of all that transpired. Joseph's brothers have come. What's going on? Why this weeping and this wailing? The report comes back. Brothers, Joseph's brothers have come. Verse 17 tells us that this report, it pleased Pharaoh and it pleased his servants. It was as though all of the house, the royal house of Egypt, rejoiced for and with Joseph in his reconciliation to his brothers. And Pharaoh will prove his pleasure in Joseph's reconciliation. In verse 17, the scriptures say, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your beast and go to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your father's households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you will eat of the fat of the land. We assume there was a conversation between Joseph and Pharaoh. To which Pharaoh's response was, all that I have is yours. I give to you all that I have and you give to your family. Nothing shall be withheld. Take the best of the land. Take the best of the resources. It's all yours, Joseph. Joseph had asked his brothers a question. Do you remember what it was? It was a question that he knew the answer to. Does my father still live? Hey, you remember that he had heard at least 14 times from Judah that his father was still alive. It was a question that he knew the answer to. The remarkable thing is that his father Jacob had long given up on that question concerning his son. Does my son yet live? Is Joseph still alive? His father, Jacob, had given up on that question. As far as Jacob was concerned, Joseph had been ravaged by a beast. Israel, back in Canaan, 
We can imagine him praying still to El Shaddai, praying to Almighty God that God would give his son's mercy and compassion before this man that they are going to. Uh, But God, dear ones, is able to give dear Jacob exceedingly and abundantly more than he could ever ask or think. And he does this for all of his saints, doesn't he? Little could Jacob possibly imagine that the man, the the Lord of Egypt, the one to whom he was praying that, that God would help this man to be merciful to his sons, little did Jacob know that that man was in fact his long lost son. Joseph is yet alive. And so this morning, with God's help, I would like to consider with you just three thoughts concerning this collection of passages that we have read this morning. Let's consider the first. Fullness in Egypt. Fullness in Egypt. There is fullness in Egypt. Uh, Or another way to say it is there is plenty in Egypt. The time has come for the brothers to pack their bags. And here, Pharaoh gives a command. And it, it is a command. Verse 17, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. With all the authority of the highest throne of Egypt behind him, Pharaoh says, do this. Notice in verse 19, he says, now you are ordered. Do this. It's a command. You are commanded. You are ordered. What is the command from Pharaoh? What is the the order from Pharaoh? Load your beast. Uh, Leave anything here that will get in the way. It has my protection. It won't go missing. Take all that you need for this journey. Go back to Canaan. Here's the command. Get your father. And in verse 18, he says, and get all of your households. Get everyone related to you. All that you have, all that is related to you, come. Come to the land of Egypt. This was the command from Pharaoh. Uh, But here is what is truly remarkable about this commandment. It is at this point, this point of the command. They are two years into the worst famine the world has ever known in the history of mankind. Two years in, five more years to go into the worst famine ever known to man. And Pharaoh is saying to Joseph and to his brothers and to all of his family, come here and you will lack nothing. Come here and you will get the best of the land. Come here and you will eat the best of the land. Well, there are no crops that are flourishing. There it was absolute desolation in the land. But God has used Joseph to store up so much food that they could not store any more food. And Pharaoh says to these Hebrew shepherds, I will give you the good of the land of Egypt. And you will you shall eat of the fat of the land. My son has just discovered fat in in steaks and in pork chops. And we'll eat and dad, can I have that, that piece of fat there? 
And then again in verse 20, and just in case they could not believe what they were hearing, the word comes to them, do not concern yourselves with your goods. Don't worry about the things you have. For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Imagine uh, leaving your things behind, those precious things that you have. And someone saying to you, leave them. Uh, everything that, that is the best of the land is yours. You're not going to need that any longer. It, in, a, in a way, Pharaoh is giving to the sons of, of Israel. In a way, he's giving to them a blank check. Here was Pharaoh with all that belongs to Egypt, giving to these men all that belongs to Egypt. It's all yours. All that is in the land. Uh, Not just all that is in the land, but the best of the land, the fat of the land. All of it is yours. Do you remember what Jacob had said to his sons when he sent them to Egypt the second time? Go buy us a little food. Go and buy us just a little food. If you can get us just a little food so that we can survive just a little longer, I will be happy. He wants only the crumbs of Pharaoh's table. But here is the message that is traveling back to Jacob in Canaan. All of the land of Egypt, all of the land of Egypt is yours. Now, brothers and sisters, I assume that the brothers of Joseph, the sons of Israel, they had to ask themselves at one point or another, why is Pharaoh doing all of this? We don't deserve this. All that we have done, all of our sin, we don't deserve for such kindness to be shown to us. They've just acknowledged their own guilt for sinning against God, for sinning against their brother 22 years earlier, for sinning against their father for 22 years, keeping a lie from him. They were guilty. God has found out their sin. God had uncovered their sin. Shame and guilt was their status. Punishment is what they deserved. But dear ones... How is it then, after all that they have done, that they didn't have their freedom taken away? That they weren't thrown into jail? uh, That their lives were not taken away from them? How is it that the highest throne and authority and power in Egypt is saying to them, everything is theirs? And the answer is quite obvious, isn't it? Everything they receive, all of the good things of the land, all of the best of the land, the best of the produce and all that they could ever ask for. It was only because of their relationship to Joseph. The jail sentence that they deserved, the imprisonment that they deserved. The execution that they expected. All of those things were withheld. Because of their relationship to Joseph. The best of the land. uh, The fat of the land. Was only given to them because of Joseph and not because of them. 
They have just gone to Egypt and said, give us the best of the land. Not having any relationship to Joseph, they might have just been thrown into prison. If they had said, give us the best food of the land, they may have had to pay a high price for what they were wanting. But because of their relationship to Joseph, all of these things are free. The fact of all of the land of Egypt has been given to them, to their children, to their fathers, to their wives. All of their family was not because of something worthy in them, but it was because of the worthiness of Joseph. Joseph earned these blessings for them. They did not earn these blessings for themselves. What is important here is this. It's not firstly. What Pharaoh thinks of them that makes the difference. What makes the difference is firstly what Pharaoh thinks of Joseph. And dear ones, I hope that you see the connection. Doesn't God come to his people in the gospel and say to them, All that I have is yours. Doesn't God open the storehouses of his grace and say, all things are yours? Doesn't God say you have a pardon for your sins? Doesn't God say you have forgiveness? That you have a right standing in his presence? That you have his right and his privilege, the privileges of his son, Jesus Christ? That you have his ear? That you have his attention? That you have his inheritance? An inheritance that is incorrupted, undefiled, that fades not. That you have all things. That God has kept nothing back from you. That he has not even spared his own son. And we come with Jacob and we say, I'm not worthy of the least of all of the mercy and all of the truth that has been shown to me. Think for a moment about this. There was a time in your lives when God's word had no appeal to you. There was a time in your lives when you would hear God's word and you would not be moved in your souls. There was a time when you would read God's word and make no sense of it. It was it was it was it might as well have been written in a different language to you. And now his word moves you. And now his grace draws your heart and now you come and you adore him now you read and your eyes are opened to so many rich and wonderful truths that you never were amazed by before this is the goodness and the grace of god who are we that we should receive such goodness and kindness from god Why should God show us such favor? We deserve nothing but to be cast out. We are guilty. And the answer, brothers and sisters, is quite obvious, isn't it? Everything that we have received is only because of our relationship to Jesus Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, it is therefore not firstly what God thinks about you that makes the difference. It is firstly what God thinks about Christ that makes the difference. And if you are in Christ, then you receive all of the benefits that are Christ 
He gives them to you. He shares them with you. It is because of what God thinks of His Son that the church, His bride, His people, that we are the richest people in all of the world. It is because of Christ that we have this wonderful relationship now with God. And you've read in our, our catechism earlier, we were cut off. We were exposed to all of the miseries of the fall. God's wrath was upon us. But God did not leave us there because of Christ. We receive all of the wonderful, rich benefits that Christ earned. We did not. And Christ then gives them to us. We are the sons of Israel, aren't we? We are the ones who uh, sinned all of those years ago and who deserve nothing but punishment. But we had one who went before us, who lived righteously before us, and who has earned and gained all of the wonderful things of heaven and says to his children, to his sons, to his brothers, all that I have is yours. You remember in Ephesians 2, Paul speaks of our deadness in sin, how we walked according to the course of this world, how we were at one time one with the prince of the power of the air, how we lived in the lust of our flesh, according indulging in our sinfulness, that we were children of wrath. Verse 4, but God, but God showed us mercy, but God loved us. But God called us and gave us salvation. And why would God do such a miraculous, wonderful, loving thing for you and for me? It's because of Christ and Christ alone. Christ has earned something for us that we could have never earned and never deserved for ourselves. We were made alive together with Christ, Ephesians says. We were raised with Him. And, and listen to what Ephesians says, Paul says in Ephesians. And then we were seated with Him. We have been given a seat with Christ. Not just Jesus saying, sit over there. Christ brings us to His throne and gives us a place on His throne with Him. We, He shares He shares His inheritance with His people. It is Christ's seat. And because we are united to Him, He brings us to that seat to sit with Him so that we might reign with Him. We've done nothing. We're only deserving of wrath. But God has united us to Him and shared His inheritance with an undeserved people. You know what it is to give something to someone in your family or in your life and say, what have you done for me? I'm going to give you a little bit. But with your children, you say, all that I have is is yours. All that I have is yours. I will hold nothing back from you. Praise be to our God. So the brothers, they load up their wagons. Joseph gives them enough, plenty for the way home and plenty for the journey back. Not enough to stay in Canaan, though. You can't stay there. It's the promised land. But there's a promise yet to be fulfilled. It is that Abraham was told by God, all of your people will go to a foreign land and they will be there for 400 years. 
These were the beginnings of that fulfillment and promise. He wants them back quickly. He doesn't give them enough to stay home. He wants them to focus their attention on where they need to go. And you'll notice notice in verse 22 that he gives Benjamin a whole lot, doesn't he? Five times more the number of garments. He loads him with wealth. And here he is showing his affection and his love for Benjamin. But he's doing so now no longer as a test, but as an expression of love to his brother Benjamin and expression of confidence that he has in his 11 brother, in his 10 brothers. He loves Benjamin and he knows that they do too. So that he can load this wealth on Benjamin and know no harm will befall Benjamin. Benjamin will be safe. There's no more hatred. There's no more envy in the brother who receives more. And there's a confidence that Joseph has. But he says to them in verse 24, do not quarrel on the way home. Don't fight on the way home. And if you can imagine, Joseph knows his brothers that once they've gotten just a little bit past Egypt, that after a bit of silence, they may have say, said, I told you we should have never sold him, uh, Simeon. I told you, Levi, that this was not a good idea from the beginning. This was all your fault. You can imagine the brothers beginning to fight against one another. They've been changed. They've had a powerful change. They are new creations in Christ Jesus. All things have been made new. The old is gone. The new has come. There's now a love in their soul for their brothers. But listen to this. But they are still yet beginning in the faith. They have small beginnings. And they are in this new walk of obedience. And so it's not outside of the norm for a new believer to revert back to their old ways. And he gives them this warning. Don't be angry with one another. Don't point fingers. Let there be no contention. Concentrate on your mission. Go home. Get our father. Tell him what God has done. Tell him about the glory that has been given to here, uh, given here in Egypt. You've been forgiven much. So therefore you should love much. See that you forgive one another. See that you fervently love one another. This is what the greater Joseph says, Jesus Christ, to all of us, isn't it? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. First John chapter 4, I believe, says, no, chapter 5, love is from God. Uh, let me say that again for anyone who thinks that the source of love comes from anyone else. Love is from God. It's quite the standard, isn't it? Love as we have loved, been loved. Our love comes from the one who has loved us when we were undeserving of love. God Almighty himself. God is the source of our love. No one else is the source of our love for God but God. God also is the love, is the source of our love for our neighbor. Only God teaches us to love our neighbor. 
if we had not learned love from God, who loved us when we were undeserving of love, we would not have a proper understanding of how to love our neighbor. God teaches us love. And now they're heading home. And let's move to our second point, fainting in Jacob. Uh, Verse 25, I'm going to read that again, verse 25. Then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob. They told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is ruler over the land of Egypt. But he was stunned, for he did not believe them. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-five says, as cold waters are to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Here is good news. The best news from a far country. Joseph is yet alive. And yet, the good news is not received. Look at Jacob. He's an old man. At this point, he is 130 years old. And like most 130-year-old men... He was tired. Some of us are only 30 years old and we are tired. Jacob will say to Pharaoh in a few days time when he comes to Egypt, listen to what he says. Few and evil have been the years of my life. It's been hard, Pharaoh. You can imagine him saying to this this ruler of Egypt, my life. My life has been hard. It's been full of grief. Think of the life of Jacob. Born a supplanter. Swindled his father and his brother. Creating strife between him and his father. Creating strife between him and Esau. Forced to to leave his home. Exiled. Leaving the mother whom he loved dearly. Experienced trouble when he went to stay with his uncle, swindled by his uncle into marrying a woman he did not love, working even longer to acquire the woman that he did love. And after acquiring her, she's barren for years, unable to produce children. There is strife between his wives, strife between his children. In the process of all of these things, God does give his beloved Rachel children, first his beloved Joseph, and then second, His beloved Benjamin, the son of her agony, but the son that Jacob loved. Or Benjamin, Jacob loved because Benjamin would be the end of Rachel's life. And Jacob was torn, I believe. Torn because of the death of his wife. But what makes it worse is that he has sons who are sinful and they are evil. And he has one son whom he loves and who has chosen to be the ruler of his, bro- of his sons. And he is believed to be ravaged by an animal and killed. Years go by and the death of Joseph was like the death of Rachel all over again. And then there was famine in the land. And he must send his sons away and they come back and they say, We will get nothing unless we, we bring back the youngest And sending his youngest son away is like Rachel and Joseph dying all over again. 
And then one day, as his eyes are failing, he looks over the horizon and he sees his 11 sons. All the brothers, they are coming. And he can begin to look, if you can imagine, he's seeing them with those fainting and failing eyes. Oh, there's Simeon. Praise God. Oh, I can count them. There's Levi. Praise Judah is back. And he sees maybe this the smallest and youngest one. Oh, praise be to God. Benjamin is back. Benjamin is here. And his heart would have rejoiced with joy. Relieved that his sons have come home. But those men who had come all those years earlier together to tell their dear father that his beloved son Joseph was dead are now coming to tell their beloved father the exact opposite. Joseph yet lives. And you can imagine their old father saying, don't play with me like that. It's not the time for playing. Father, we have something to tell you. It's unbelievable. You're going to have to sit down for this. But listen, the man that we have been seeing, the man that we have been visiting and and, and debating with and, and wrestling with all of this time, that man, Father, that man is Joseph. And he is alive. And he is ruler, governor of all of the land of Egypt. And this poor man who, whose heart was on the verge of fainting, could not believe it. It's too much. Imagine someone who you believed was dead. For years believing was dead. And you come to find out that they are alive. Not only alive, but God has exalted them to a high position of power and authority. It's too much. Grief. Grief, not good news. Bad news wins the day for Jacob. Uh, the, the news is too good to be true. He won't believe it. He would rather hold on to Joseph being dead than believe for one second that Joseph is actually alive. It's not possible. All of this time you're saying now he's the, the governor of the land, even less believable. A nation of idolaters submitting to a Hebrew who worships Yahweh. I won't believe it. George Lawson in this commentary said, if they had told him, listen to what he says, that Abraham or Isaac had returned from the dead, he could have scarcely been more surprised. He might have believed that more than his own son. How is it possible that after 20 years he can still be alive? Now, Charles Spurgeon, speaking of Jacob, says he was a man who was ready to believe evil tidings, bad news. When his sons held out to him a coat dipped in blood of an animal and asked him if, if it was not the coat of his son, Joseph, the patriarch answered, it's my son's coat. An evil beast has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt ripped to pieces. He had no doubt about it. He was a man who believed, who was quick to believe bad news. And now here is good news being brought to him and he won't believe it. So much bad has happened in Jacob's life that he comes to expect and believe the bad. And when good comes, he can't receive it. 
when good comes, it's too much for him. He doesn't know what to do with it. I can't believe it. This can't be true. We know people like that, don't we? Uh, people who are quick to believe threatenings. Uh, we hear the gospel and, and we, we hear the threatenings of the law. That's me. I'm a dead man. We come and hear the gospel and we hear that the soul that sins will die. And we say, that's me. Uh, we hear that the wages of sin is death. And we start looking for our coffins. The word tells us that we are not unable and unwilling to believe. And we believe that we'll never have the opportunity then. And we're constantly seeking sermons. I don't know why some of us have this fetish. Constantly seeking sermons to make us feel guilty. To make us feel bad. I remember years ago, there was a visitor who came and said, I like the, the, the heavy sermons. I like the, the sermons that, that make me feel guilty about my sin. Oh, jeez. I hope that you equally love the, the hearing of the gospel. That you've been forgiven of sin. What about the gospel? What about the good news? Oh, what about the news that, yes, Jesus was dead, but he is alive forevermore, that Christ lives, that our Savior has been risen? What about the good news that he's able to save to the uttermost all who come to him through him or come to God through him? What about the news that he casts no sinner away? Oh, what about the good news that there is an invitation from Christ to come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden? Uh, what about the news that he, he promises to give you rest? We're often not so quick to believe that. Some of us say it's, it's just too good to be true. Of all the things I've done, all that I've experienced in my life, I, I, I don't really know how to handle the good that comes. We spoke about this a while ago. That when someone brings love, people have, have not experienced love and they don't know what to do with it when it is genuine and it comes to them. Instead, we would rather say, Joseph has been ripped to pieces. I know I will be lost. It's not possible that I will be saved. He doesn't believe the report. He heard what the brothers said, but he didn't believe it. One more quote from Spurgeon. He says, there are those, listen to how he says this, who hug, caress their despair. And they become so acquainted with it, it, it becomes their companion and they won't give it up. Do you know anyone like that? Is that you? Are you a person who has hugged despair and hugged depression and hugged anxiety and caressed fear and, and caressed and been in bed with drama for so long that you won't get out of bed. That you cannot give it up. And some people like despair. There's some people that you have heard them of them say, they just like drama. Everything's good, but they've got to find where there is some bad. They're hugging despair. They're loving and caressing uh, bad news. 
They give the law a fair hearing. They give threatening a fair hearing. But they won't give the gospel a fair hearing. They won't give good news a fair hearing. They won't caress truth. They won't caress the goodness of God. They won't love and caress the love of God. Jesus is yet alive. Christ has risen. Christ rules over all of the land. All power has been given to Him. All power and authority in heaven and on earth is to Christ. He has been exalted as King of all. Savior of those who repent of their sins. And He is coming to His people with wagons of truth. There is mercy for you here. There is pardon for you here. Now you are commanded, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take Him, receive Him, have Him, come near to Him, come to the gospel. Will you not give that a fair hearing? At the end of verse 26, Jacob's heart fainted. He did not believe them. We have sympathy for Jacob, don't we? We know all the things that he's been through. Uh, there is, in this receiving of this good news, there's a reopening of this wound, isn't there? We're going to go there again now. Uh, that wound that, that is probably not completely healed. You know those irritating wounds that they, they scab and all of a sudden you hit them and they open up again. Gosh, it was just about to heal. Well, here it is. Joseph is alive. And Jacob doesn't want to open that wound. I don't want to go there again. It hurts too much. And it has been hurting for too long. And Jacob doesn't even want to entertain the thought. Because it hurts too much. Because if it's not true. Because if it's not true. Oh, it's going to bring my gray hair down to the grave if it's not true. He's very much like the disciples who when the report of the resurrection of Christ came, they did not believe the report, did they? And what was the reason? It's just too good to be true. It's too, And Christ had told them, this is what will be. And when it takes place, they cannot receive it. It's too good to be true. Uh, Thomas said, unless I see him and touch him and put my finger where he has been wounded, I will not believe. My friend, faith sees that yes, it is more that I could ever ask Think more than I ever desired. Yes, it is true that I am not worthy, but because he has said so, because he has commanded it, because he is the greater than Joseph, even though it's too good to be true, it is true. I said this a while ago, but I need you to hear it again. That God loves you. Oh, He loves you. You need to just allow those words to seep into your soul. If you have come to faith in Christ, it is because He loves you. 
with an everlasting love. He has never begun to begin to love you. Oh, but all of the things that have happened in my life, God loves you still. All of the depressing and disappointing and disgusting things that I've experienced, oh, but God loves you. But the ways in which my family seems to have this this division and the way in which it seems that my life is not going the way I... God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Caress that truth. Become acquainted. Hug that truth for as long as you live. Little ones, I'm not just speaking to daddy and mommy. You have been given the gift of hearing the gospel week after week. What a love that God is giving to you. Because there are so many little ones who don't have this opportunity that you get week after week to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say to you, you're not just hearing it because dad and mom brought you here. You're hearing it because God has provided an opportunity for you in your life to hear this. Repent of your sin. Turn to Jesus. And see how much he loves you. Third and finally. Faith revived in Israel. These are the final verses, verses 27 and 28. When Jacob hears all the words that Joseph said, all the words about what God has done. Yes, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. To preserve life, to preserve a covenant, to preserve Judah, to preserve the one through whom the Messiah would come. Not just to save physically, but to save physically, but to save spiritually their souls. The spirit of Jacob is revived. When he hears, he, he first hears Joseph is alive. He won't believe it. And then they begin to explain to him and to tell him all of the things that have taken place. All of the things that have been said. And the soul of Jacob is revived. This 130 year old patriarch revives and the Bible says, and Israel said. The scripture goes from, and Jacob would not believe. But then they explain to him and the Bible says, and then Israel Israel says, it is enough. He shakes off the doubts. He shakes off his fainting. He shakes off the unbelief. And in his heart, he is revived. And he says this, it, it is enough. What is enough? He no longer doubts. He believes the, the report of the Lord. The words are enough. But he begins to see wagons. <laughs> They say, Joseph is alive. I won't believe it. And all of a sudden, these royal wagons come rolling up. And they are filled to the brim of riches, of food, of garments. And Jacob says, no, Israel says, okay, I've seen enough. (laughs) I believe. I believe. You don't, I cannot imagine the thought and the emotion and the feeling Father, your beloved son is alive. I won't believe it. Wagons are rolling. He's ruler in Egypt. I won't believe it. More wagons are coming. Okay. I believe. He's alive. 
I will go down and see him before I die. It's possible that he had never seen a wagon like this royal wagon. And it would have been a royal wagon. Say that five times fast. Uh, it would have been a, a, a royal wagon. Ornate. Filled with riches. And Spurgeon says that God uses various wagons that are testimonies and proofs of his goodness and of his truth. Spurgeon says the Sabbath day is a wagon. It's one of those wagons at the day of rest, a day in which God speaks that there is rest in Christ and that he has appointed a Sabbath day. So that we might rest. And why would God give this day if he did not mean for us to rest? Spurgeon says, uh, why are you here? Why is there a Sabbath? Why is there rest for your souls if God does not mean to give you rest? What a mockery, he says. What a mockery it is to have one day in seven set apart for you to think of God. If also God does not mean to think of you. You're just not here to think of God. You're here to be reminded that God is also thinking of you. What a, what a shot in the arm that is for us, isn't it? As we sojourn throughout this fallen world and go throughout the week. Oh, we are looking forward to the day that we can set our minds on Christ. But blessed be God that we are also given a day to be reminded that Christ has not failed and not forgotten and will never fail to keep his mind far away from you. You're thinking about Christ. Praise God. He's thinking about you too. He is at the right hand of the Father. Making intercession for you. Praying that your faith would not fail. It's not just you thinking of him. He is thinking of you. And on this blessed day. We are reminded of that blessed and glorious truth. That God loves you. Another wagon, Spurgeon says, is a preacher. You're not just given a day, you're given a preacher. The one who will come to you sent by God with a message of salvation. The word of salvation is meant to you, O man, he says. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And how will you hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? And then you can work that backwards. They are sent so that there would be a preacher, so that there would be a word of faith, so that you would believe. It's a wagon for your soul, a wagon to bring you to Christ, a wagon to revive you so that you may say it is enough. Spurgeon says he goes on silent errands if he's not sent by God. If he's not sent by God, uh, then his foot being moved to go and preach the gospel is the silliest errand ever given to men. But because we are sent by God, it is the most precious errand ever God ever sent a man to do. Why are you hearing the gospel? Why is God speaking to you this morning except that he has a purpose to give you mercy? That you would come to him. That you would go to Egypt as it were to feast on him. To receive him. To live. What's the use of all of this talking this morning? Unless there's a living Christ who says, come to me. 
and that living Christ is ready and able to save you. The Word of God is also a wagon. Why do you have a Bible? Why has God provided a Bible for you in your language? My, my family and I were just doing family worship last night speaking about the, the first book of John. We came to the very end of it and explaining to our son that this word, this word was, was given to a church and the church would all gather and they would read the word. And because of persecution, because of the word having the possibility of being taken, they would copy the word. But not only that, so that the other churches could be blessed by the word, they would copy it and circulate the word. And that circulated, copied word began to be copied and circulated, copied and circulated, preserved, kept. Men like Whitcliffe died so that this word could reach Bakersfield, California. And here we are, opening God's word. This word that has been preserved for all of these years. Why? It's a wagon for your soul. It's so that you may be seeing the word and truthfulness of God in Christ Jesus and know that Christ yet lives and he is calling you to be saved. God's word, full of invitations, full of promises, full of love. It is as if Joseph, Jesus, is sending a message ahead and saying through his brothers, Jesus yet lives. Go to him before you die and be saved. It's a wagon for your soul. Israel says, it is enough. I will go down to Joseph before I die. This is the way that you and I must come to the gospel as well. I've heard the good news. It's enough. I don't want anything other than the gospel. It's enough. I don't need a charismatic teacher. I don't need you to tell me jokes, uh, to, to draw me. Just give me the good news. Here it is. Christ lives. Go to him before you die and be saved. I want the gospel. Nothing less than the gospel. Nothing more than the gospel. Give me Christ. And I will say it is enough. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures Paul writes. And we say it is enough. He rose for our justification according to the scriptures. And we say it is enough. He rose to sit at the Father's right hand. All power, authority, dominion have been given to him. And we say it is enough. He is exalted as the prince and Savior to give us repentance and forgiveness for our sins. And again, we say it is enough. Faith says, I need nothing more. It is enough. The gospel is for a sinner like me. A sinner like you. And the good, things about the good thing about the gospel is that he casts no sinner who comes to him away. It is enough. Why would you look for anything more than Christ? Why would you settle for anything less than Christ? Take Christ. To our friends and to our visitors who are here this morning, you are experiencing a simple worship service where the word is preached, where Christ is offered, where the supper is given. You need nothing more. It is enough. 
There are no bells and whistles. There are no flashing lights. There is no rock band behind me. There are no special groups to join. There is only Christ. Come to Him. He shows Himself to you. Feast upon Him. He gives you the finest of wheat. He gives you the finest of drink. He gives you all of Himself. Go down to Him before you die. Jacob thought his joy was complete in Benjamin until he hears that Joseph is alive. And he will see Joseph before he dies. It's a small picture of what we have in Christ. There will be joy, joy that resurrection day. Oh, when we see our loved ones again, when we meet with him again, those who have gone before us in times past, they are now with Christ. They are with the one who loves their soul. They are in a place where there is no pain, nor sorrow. And as soon as the believer dies, we will go with them. But most of all, we will be with Christ. We are with Christ. We will be. And so, in closing, Joseph, Jacob gets up to take this journey to see his beloved son. And he will go down there. And he will see the face of Joseph once again. And it won't be through a glass dimly. He will see him face to face. And so will it be when we shed these earthen vessels and we are united to Christ and we will see him face to face. Oh, I long for the day. I long for the day. I pray you do as well. Dear saints, let's pray.